in in a while. So if you put a finger in there, we're also going to start at Ephesians, that passage that we read earlier. This is such good news that, um, you know, I, I say this and I find that I'm saying this more and more, that the Christian life is really, it's like talking about the same thing again and again and again. It's not rocket science, it's just revolutionary. And it's, there's a simplicity to it that's, that's alarming. And then there's a complexity to it that's bewildering. The simplicity is getting to the experience of God loving you. The, the, the complex side is trying to explain it. And sometimes, some of us, we're stuck because we're trying to understand it. Which is like as sensible as your, you know, my child is not going to embrace me until he understands that I love him. And he's just been born. It's not going to happen. And so there's a word I believe from the Lord to us about just come to me. And maybe let me give you experiences of me that will help your understanding. And if he's really sort of mean to you and me, he just says, so how's your lifestyle going right now? How's it working for you? Let me come and bring more life. And so, Jesus, I pray this morning that you would just open up this word and encourage us with it. And that we would, um, like those guys on the Emmaus Road, just have our hearts alive and burning in us. And we wouldn't be afraid of what you have to share. So we ask your spirit to come in power today, Lord. Let us fly. as we were designed to fly. In Jesus' name. After the cross, after Jesus had gone to the cross, which was when he died for our sin and all the rebellion and all the things that separated us from experiencing God personally, after the cross and the resurrection, where everybody who had been around Jesus thought he was in the grave, and it was a nice trip while it lasted, but he was dead. We'd seen him die, we'd run away from him, we'd basically gone as far as we could, humanly speaking, and he was in the grave. And the stone was rolled over, and it's a big stone, huge stone. And three days later, the stone's rolled away, everything has changed. And this man who we'd last seen hanging on a cross, bleeding, and then eventually crying, it's finished, and dying, and being wrapped up in big, is walking around saying, Mary, Thomas, why did you doubt? You want something to eat? And he appeared to 500 people over a period of about six weeks. Because he knew that nobody would believe. Like, it's unbelievable. So I've always loved that. I always like the unbelievable side of Jesus because people say, well, that's, too, that's, that's unbelievable. And you get, I know it's unbelievable. It's God. If it was believable, it wouldn't be God. It's one thing to ask ourselves about the God we worship. How believable is he? Or how amazing is he? If you can explain everything about God, he's probably just your reflection. 
It's boring. It's much more fun. And so you have, after the resurrection, the Christians beginning to grow and spread. And I like Graham Cook's twist on this, which he says, you know, the Christians, Christians are the f- a new race of people. Never before in human history have people existed like Christians. Because it was the first time in human history where God's spirit was poured out and said, now you go and let me live in you. It had never happened before. The Christians were therefore meant to be extraordinary. And you read the words of Paul to the Ephesians. If you suffer from depression, read this, because this will make it worse. You know, he tells you, I, I, I insist on this in the Lord, no longer live as the Gentiles do. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance of this in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Short line is, we like to feed all the senses we have and we like to get what we want. We want instant gratification and I like stuff. Then he says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. And you go, well, all the people I know seem to be doing that. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we sort of close the book and say, that's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God, but you must be crazy. That's not, that ain't me. Then he goes on. You must put a falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Well, the sun would be perpetually up over some of us, wouldn't it? If it was dependent on our dealing with our anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Work to do something useful with your hands. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful to building others up. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's depressing, isn't it? He goes on in verse 5. You must no, No hint of a sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sings and make music in your heart to the Lord. What's our default position? It's, you must be crazy. I mean, you've just wiped out my whole life. All the things I like to do when no one's looking. And me and my friends when we get together on Fridays. And then I confess on Saturday and I turn up on Sunday and say, Oh Lord, here we are again. Our our instinctive, natural place is more described by the things that Paul tells us to get rid of, isn't it? 
We don't need any New Year's resolutions for any of those. And so Christianity can very quickly and very easily become this depressing burden of rules that we just go, you know, I can get to church and I can go through some of this stuff, but really, I'm not in that league. I've heard it over the years, you know, well, it's nice for you, uh, you're a spiritual kind of person, but I'm not. There are all kinds of phrases we use. And it merely just means we don't see any hope or we just accept the way we are or we like the way we are and we don't see any reason for change. And Christianity, the Christians of the early century, first century um, were astonishing because they actually took it seriously. But the cool thing about the Christians in the first century was they didn't look like they were having a terrible time. They went to their death, many of them, singing songs. They said, I'd rather die than bow before you, Caesar of Rome. I would rather die than deny Jesus. And you go, why would you be fed to lions? And these were nasty lions, not the king of Judah. Why would you be fed to lions? Rather than just say, well... um, I believe in God, but it publicly, yes, Caesar, your Lord. Compromise. The strongest growth of the early church was in the most persecuted time. And I think it's because they had a very deep sense of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus that was in their hearts and that had set them free. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want the passion of Jesus that will set me free to make it that... I will die, if necessary, for what I believe. We had some close calls, because in South Africa we marched on Parliament and we did viol- you know, we, I was exposed to violence. We went before guns and said, well, do I believe this enough? But it's the passion that will make a difference. And so I showed you last week... Um, Jesus said to us, I just, I just want to sort of build a case here for something. And I, and I, because where I'm going with this morning is to say absolutely what Paul is writing about is possible. Absolutely. It's not pie in the sky and it's not for the religious people. It's absolutely possible, not because of you, but because of what Jesus has done. We talked about the word being made flesh. God came into human form. That means he came into a body and he revealed a way of living in Jesus that blew people away because Jesus lived in a way that was astounding. He healed the sick. He loved people. He laid down his life. He he traveled amongst all kinds of people. He was no respecter of status. He has showed enormous power over darkness, tremendous confidence in who he was, great vulnerability and weakness by going to the cross but then an extraordinary trust in the faithfulness of his father to raise him up again. He lived an extraordinary life. And he had nothing in human terms. That's inspiring to me. And then he goes on and he says, I'll tell you the secret. I can't do anything unless my father tells me. And I only do what what my father wants me to do. And then he says, and you won't be able to do anything unless I am with you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And so what he released through the cross and through the resurrection and through the gift of his spirit was he said, I, I, I'm releasing power to you that you can be these different people. And so he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a new way to be human. You can do this. I'll give you three alternatives. One is this. This is life, all right? Oh, my word, that's a big one. I'll collapse if I do anymore. Okay, that can be your life. Whatever you blow into it. But if I let this go and tie it up, and it'll just lie on the ground, won't it? Well, let's show you. Except I don't know how to tie these up very well. Anyway, there we go. You can live your life like this. This is sort of believing in God or believing in nothing. It doesn't really make... I suppose this would be the alternative. Believing in nothing would look like that. Believing in God as a religion might look like that, I suppose. Then you could be somebody who kind of... um, is a mixture of a variety of things, but what you basically do is... Let's get orange, shall we? No, we'll go for white because you usually like to portray yourself as loving... This is a white heart, but I'm never... Maybe, Fred, you've got a big lungs. You can blow it up. You're an angel. Man, that guy makes that... Oh, my word, he... Yeah, just blow it up some more. There we go. Thank you. Okay, so... So, this is, this is the typical Christian. Um, yes, I love, I love Jesus. He, he works in my life. Um, and it lasts about that long. And then they do, you go through the process again. It's sporadic and it's like flop, 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 flop. And after a while, it gets exhausting. Right? Most of us have lived there. Or you can do that. And this little butterfly, dragonfly, has been floating around for 24 hours. Or those ones that are a little less impressive, they're sort of getting deflated. Or you can do that. My uh, thing this morning is that God desires us to live like this. And that Christians, what will transform Port Alberni and what will transform your life and the lives of those around you, when they see that, this doesn't impress this tends to say, oh yeah, it sounds like religion, doesn't sound exciting, you're not that victorious yourself by the look of it. So it just seems like another lot of work for me. How do we get to there? It's not difficult, really. Remember Peter, let's go to Matthew 14, I want to read Peter. Before that, uh, just one phrase, uh, one, I love this passage that Jesus says. He's speaking to um, ordinary people and he says to them, and he says to you at this, this morning, listen up, if you've fallen asleep, uh, nudge the person next to you as they wake up. This is for you. Come to me, 
All you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen to this. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said that, and he said that to his disciples. And he said, that is the mandate from God to you. When you walk with me, there is lightness. But we still go, hey, wait a minute, that's not my experience. I'll sing the song, he ain't heavy, he's my brother, but man, he is heavy, and I'm him, and it's all heavy. So Peter has been hanging around Jesus with the disciples, and they've gone through some wonderful times together. They just fed the 5,000, 5,000 people with those little fish and loaves, and they went, whoa! And everybody touches Peter and goes, hey, you're one of them? And he says, yep. Yeah, he's my friend. It's good to be around Jesus at this time. And Jesus uh, has gone up into the hills to pray and spend some time with the Lord on his own. And he had sent the disciples across the lake. During the fourth watch, this is verse 25 of chapter 14 of Matthew. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, uh, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter usually talks and then thinks about it and went, Oh shoot, what have I just said? And all the other disciples are sitting in the boat with him, so now there's a lot of peer pressure. At least he spoke. Because Jesus then says, Come, call your bluff. That you had a smile on his face. And Peter gets up. Nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever done this before. I mean, like Jesus is the first one. He's modeled it. He's just done it. Why? Because he travels light. When you travel light, you can walk on water. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. And then he saw the wind and he was afraid and began to sink and cried, Lord, save me! I bet you there was another word in there, but he probably, they didn't put it in. It's a fisherman's word for something. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why do you think? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Beautiful, beautiful story. And what does that tell you? I think one of the things it says, and, and I, I know God is saying this to us as a church, and he's saying it to you and to me. He says, if you give me what you have, I'll do the rest. Peter's in the boat. Jesus is out walking on the water. What many of us are doing is... Yeah, I believe Jesus walks on water over there. And we say, Jesus, uh, why don't you come to me and minister to me in the boat? And one of the reasons some of us are stuck in our lives is because we keep telling Jesus what to do. We want him to come into our comfort zone and into our place of where we operate and we want him to somehow do something for us. And he goes, I'm God in this equation actually. 
You're lucky I don't kill you right now. Amazing grace is the fact that I don't kill you. Do you know that? Have you ever thought of it like that? Amazing grace is the fact that you and I are still alive. And then we say, we don't deserve this. He says, do you want to get what you deserve? You're living in amazing grace. Do you want to get what you deserve? (laughs) Oh man, you don't get this thing. You're under condemnation without Jesus. And there will be truth revealed. Amazing grace is that we can move into a place where the truth that is revealed is that Jesus has taken everything that condemns me on himself. He's called my Savior. And so Peter, the way God works, says, when I call you, I want you to come. Step out of the boat. And Peter at that moment, because he was filled with faith, he, was, he had experienced the power of God, the love of God, he experienced the miracles. He, he really believed that with Jesus he could do anything, even if he was out of his mind. And so in that moment he gets out of the boat and he walks on water until he starts thinking about it. There's a lesson for us. I promise you, you will get further with God if you actually follow your heart If you start thinking about it, you will never go anywhere. What's the most godless part of the world? Europe and North America. Where people are the most educated, most thoughtful, have got so much to say about everything. So Jesus called and Peter got out the boat. It's like Gideon. Gideon's a guy in the Old Testament and he was, in a, in, in, he was scared because there were big uh, armies around and God's angel came to him and appeared to him and called Gideon and he says, you're going to be the commander of an army. And Gideon says, but I'm just a Benjamite, I'm nothing, I'm sitting here terrified. And the angel calls him and says, rise up mighty warrior. And what does he say to him? He says, go in the strength that you have. And I absolutely believe with all my heart that for all of us this is true. Stand up and walk into the ways of God with the strength that you have and with what you know and God will meet you. It really came clear in soaking prayer to me because I was you know, saying, okay, we're going to pray for healing, I'm going to wait for a word of knowledge. And I struggle with that because I don't get lots of these things. And I think God was also starting to talk to me and saying, stop doing that. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, so why don't you just ask who's sick? And maybe I'll give you a word of knowledge when they come and be prayed for. Maybe you don't have to make it more spiritual or more difficult than it is. Use what you know. Walk where you can. And see what happens. Don't over-spiritualize it and don't try and... You know, I I, I didn't say to my disciples, okay, guess what I'm going to do now? Who's got a word of knowledge? I did stuff. Do you see... There's an element where he really invites us into this journey and he gives us responsibility for it. And there's another word. This is, this is very important. It's all very important. It's a word of encouragement. God is trying to make us alive in the flesh, in the, in the bodies that we have, right? The bodies that we have and the, the habits and everything we have are, are what he's rescuing us from uh, and he's teaching us a new way of living. 
And one of the things he's saying, I believe, to the Christian church and to those who follow Jesus is saying, there are too many people who are taken out of the battle with flesh wounds. What do I mean by that? A flesh wound is something that happens. You know, I said I would never do this and I'm doing it. Um, somebody was nasty to me. That's a big one. Oh, grief. Christians are just caressing their hurts like you wouldn't believe. Jesus isn't as big as the way we've hurt one another. Do you know that? I'm being facetious. I'm joking. But you would think that our wounds are bigger than what Jesus can do because, man, we hold on to them. You don't know how much you've been, I've been hurt. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know. You don't understand. And I believe God is saying, you're getting taken out of the battle because you pay too much attention to flesh wounds. What's that like? It's like a little wimp who's playing a game and he trips and he scratches himself and he runs into his mother and says, hey, look what happened to me. And you say, oh, for goodness sake, it's only a cut. Get out there and play. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not. Don't disqualify yourself because you've been wounded. Just come to Jesus, say, Lord, please heal this, forgive me for this, and get up and go. Because what Satan will do is take that flesh wound and say, oh, my word, you can't do anything. Look at that, that hurts. And you know what it's like. You can look at an arm that you've sprained and you go, oh, man, that's sore. Oh, I used to do that to get out of school. Oh, you'd have no idea how sore that is. And then you go, oh, we're going to go and see something really great that you enjoy, and suddenly you're healed. Oh, that's no problem. No, 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 no. We're full of nonsense. We're full of nonsense. Step over the boat side into the water and Jesus will lead you. Stop being such chicken. Okay, we better move on here. Because what I'm trying to get to is that we can't, being Christian is impossible. So Judy went to all the trouble of finding one of these things for me and she must be quite disappointed. All I'm doing is walk around wheeling at this. What is this, Judy? Judy, come up here, please. Judy's the other person who really helped Diane cook all the meals and makes phone calls from quality foods. What is, what, hold this, please. What, what is this thing? An intravenous um, pole. And who uses this? People that are receiving intravenous um, feedings or drugs. Why do they have intravenous stuff? Uh, to fill um, a need. To fill a need? Mm-hmm. Would they die without it? Sometimes. Sometimes. So you put a bag or two on here, right? right? And then you right. hook it up and then you plug it into me, uh-huh. right? Right into the vein, into the bloodstream, right? Can I do that? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> You're a nasty woman on the inside. Okay, well that's enough from you. Thank you very much. Okay, so you see people walking around with these things and they've got bags on the end and they've got needles in them and uh, apparently they need this to stay alive. What happens if... uh, So in our world we go... If you see somebody like walking around like this, they they either very... Well, they obviously are ill, they're sick, they need support... I mean, what would happen if you were in a hospital and they said you can have one of these and you said, oh, no, don't be silly, I'll look stupid. I'm not going to be seeing that thing. So they say, well, um, see you at your funeral. 
Eventually, when you're nearly dead, you go, okay, I guess. And you walk around with the back of your gown open, which is even more embarrassing. (laughs) And you begin to go, I'd rather walk around with this and stay alive right now. Apart from this, you will not live. Now what happens if when Jesus came into the world, he kind of brought this with him? And he said, uh, Christians are those who walk around with these. See, what the difference is between this, this, and that is what's inside it. There's not much inside this. There's my breath or in, inside this which doesn't have a lot of power. But there's a helium inside that one, which does. It rises it up. What happens if Jesus says, as he said to his disciples, he said, apart from me you can do nothing. And then when he spoke to his disciples after the resurrection, he said to them, wait in Jerusalem. Because you've got a lot of knowledge now and you've got a lot of information and you believe I've risen from the dead so you're convinced that I am the Son of God and you're going to go out into the world and talk to people about who I am. There's only one problem. You won't survive. You're not going to survive in this world. Peter, you've already had experience of that. You told me you'd never leave me and look what happened. You ran away. Don't say that again, Peter says. Anyway, he does. They wait in Jerusalem and on Pentecost power comes and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the intravenous work of God in his people. And he says, without me you can do nothing. So you're going to have to go around with me for the rest of your life. And I only work in you so long as you stay attached to me. If you do not stay attached to me, I promise you within 24 hours, that thing will be on the ground. And you'll be able to tell the difference between this and this and that. Why? How high it flies. I mean, imagine this one says, I believe in Jesus, I have him in my heart. And you go, woo, impressive. I believe in Jesus, I have him in my heart. Woo, impressive. I have Jesus and I believe him and I love him and he's in my heart. That is impressive. Give me that one. And the only difference between the three of them is what's inside. And the only difference between the three of them is you can't fake it. Because what's inside you and me comes out in the midst of life. When your circumstances aren't great, when things aren't all wonderful, which they seldom are. And God says, I want people who will fly high in the midst of everyday life. And most of us are here because I said, I'm sick of religion, I'm sick of this, I'm sick of that, Christian. And God says to you, then be different. Be filled with my life. 
What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? I've got to get moving. Man, time goes so quickly. You know what the difference between wisdom and knowledge is? Knowledge is knowing about something. Wisdom is when you're filled with that. I can know about intravenous. I can know about the help it brings, that it fights for me because my body cannot give me what it needs. So I get it from an external source. I can know about it, but unless I submit to it and actually receive it in my bloodstream, it has no use for me. I could actually walk around with this pole. I'd soon be locked up. I said, well, you know, the preacher said, uh, without me you can do nothing, so here we go. Or I could get a bag and put it on and I could tape an intravenous thing so it looks from a distance like I've got it in. That's what quite a few Christians do. That You can buy them, you know. Fool everybody except yourself. You could tape that thing so nobody else would know it's not even in your arm. The only problem is you won't fly. And that's the test. You can quack like one, walk like one, smell like one, but if you can't fly like one, you ain't one. That's a prophetic word, I believe. Okay. Let's, let's uh, get to something else here. Peter walked on water, and when he walked on water, he was light because he was full of faith. Jesus said, my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, I am the light of the world, but I am light. I want you to think of that. The fruit of the Spirit, which is the intravenous working of God, the life of God in you and me as we allow him, is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Those are light words, aren't they? What are heavy words? Jealousy, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. How does it work? Well, Jesus says, come to me and give me everything that's heavy. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will help lighten your load. So Peter says to Jesus, I'll never leave you. And then in the crucifixion, he leaves him. And he goes down to the shores of Galilee. We've talked about this many times, but there's so much that's happening here. And Peter goes down to the shores of Galilee and he fishes all night with his friends, pretty heavy. You remember, they come to, they're offshore, maybe a hundred yards, I don't know. And Jesus is on the shore and John says, that's the master. They've fished all night and caught nothing. I've never seen it like this until I was thinking about it for this, t- this talk. Peter, I always joke, because he said, oh, Peter, you know, put any cloak and jumped in the water because he wasn't thinking and, you know. But what if it was something else? What if Peter remembered the last time he had stepped over the side of the boat? And he put his coat on and he thought, I'm going to walk on water again. And he stepped over the side and he had to swim. And he went, oh shoot, what happened? That's Jesus, here's the boat, here's me, I'm in the water this time. What happened was that Peter got heavy. Because the place he was in was doubt, shame, guilt, Rebellion, maybe. 
lack of self-belief, heavy, heavy places. He couldn't walk on water. And so he came to Jesus, dripping, wet, soaking. And Jesus eventually, after he's given him something to eat, says, Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And he takes off condemnation. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. He takes off shame. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. He takes off anxiety or whatever it is. And he lightens the load again. Then he says, now you guys go out and be me in the world. And a few weeks later, where's Peter? Or Peter is walking up the steps to the temple and there's a crippled man there and Peter stops with John and he says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I give you. Why? Because he's flying high. And he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Because that's what Jesus would say if he was here right now and he's here in me and I can do it because I'm light. Why? Because I've been forgiven. I know. I know. I know what it's like to live like this. I know what it's like to follow Jesus like this. I know what it's like to have spurts of faith like this. But when the Spirit was poured out over me in Pentecost, He lifted me higher than I've ever felt in my life. And I can walk around now and I can heal the sick because He is in me and I'm giving away what is inside me. But I cannot do it on my own. When you don't go diving into the water, you take an aqualung. When the, when the astronauts go into space, they take space suits. When Christians walk this world, they walk with Jesus. Because without him, you can do nothing. He didn't want to embarrass us by giving us this kind of thing to have to walk around with. It's a bit clumsy, so he just does it by his spirit. He's got this miraculous way of putting a little spiritual chip in us and he just says as long as you activate it and it's easy to activate because every time you feel heavy you go to the cross and say Lord I'm heavy please forgive me I just want to give you this and he'll take it and then he says now be light receive my spirit what am I trying to say I'm trying to say to you and to me the way to live in lightness is to listen to what's going on in your heart and to get real honest with yourself if you argue with your head, you will be heavy all your life. God is speaking to every single one of us right now about something. A lot of it he's saying, I love you, come to me. Some of it in us is, I don't want to give this up. I don't know what to do with this. I, I, I want to hold on to this. And he says, you can hold on to it because it's, it's going to be heavy. You're not going to walk on water. But I'm just letting you know, when you're ready, you can give it to me. But what might happen? And he'll smile back and say, it'll be better than this, believe me. But you've got to take a risk. Jesus is not asking you and me to fly. He's saying, I'll do it in you. The most heavy thing on most of us is pride. Do you know how he blows us up? Do you know how he injects the helium into us? Most of the time it's, Lord, I just pray you to fill her with your love right now. The laying on of hands is a way that God uses to fill us so we fly high. Why? Because the laying on of hands means somebody has to come and say, help. And somebody else has to say, here, I'm giving you away what I've received. That's how Jesus works. 
It's humility on both sides. God, I promise you, will not fill you in private much of the time. But that's his desire for every single one of us, whatever our circumstances right now, if you want it. It's what Jesus went to the cross for. And later, how it works is God gives it, he carries it all. Let me, this is, I'm finished now, don't worry. Um, he, he carries it all. So we come to him and he, give, we give us, he gives us, we give him all our burdens, right? And then he goes, he walks with us and when we get stronger, he starts giving us back some of the burdens. He says, let's deal with this now. And you feel the weight of it. And you go, oh, I thought I dealt with that. And he said, no, you just gave it to me. Now I want to heal you. So what happens with Peter? Peter has prejudice in his life about the Gentiles. So there comes a point where God gives him a dream and says, I want to take that from you now. And so for the rest of your life and my life, God is working to take things off us in a deeper way and make us more light than we've ever been. So don't get discouraged. That's how he works. Does that make sense to you? At the end of the day, in all of life, God is wanting you and me to know that he is able to do in us more than we can ask or imagine and you are included. And the only thing between that and this is your attitude. It's pretty simple, I'm afraid. And, the only, and, and I am afraid too that I'm not one of these people who if you look like this, I'm going to tell you that you look like that. Anger, unforgiveness, attitude looks like this. It's very, very visible. So is that. You've got to have a sense of humor because we kind of go black and we get we're a bit like a, you know, inflate, deflate. But that's where God's leading us. Let's ask him to release it among us, shall we? There's a big helium pump all over this place right now. What does this symbolize? I am weak, but he is strong. So I said right at the beginning of the service, what did I say at the beginning of the service? Something about him filling us when we're weak, being, being, being willing to be weak. You've been sitting long enough, let's stand, shall we? Because he felt, you know, then he can fill us right up, not just to the butt. And so God and Jesus comes to you and to me right now and he says, so where are you heavy? Where are you heavy? Come to me, all you who are weak and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So real simply, Jesus just comes to you and says, whatever is heavy in you right now, just give to me. Just give it to me. I don't want a speech. Just give it to me. It might be everything, so just give him everything. He says, I want you to be an extraordinary human being that you are. I want you to know life and love and joy, even if your circumstances are awful. I'll teach you how to rise above them. But give me permission. When you've done that, just very simply receive from him what he gives you and it'll be the opposite. 
So if you've given him fear, then just receive his peace. It's light. If you hold peace, pretend it's a helium balloon. It's going to lift you up a little bit. And then you, maybe you're sad. And he says, well, receive my joy. And you say, I feel nothing. He says, it doesn't matter. Just hold on. Receive my joy. I love you. I have you in my hand. Maybe you're anxious about your life and your future. And he says, receive my peace. It's a big helium balloon. You're going to lift off the ground soon. Lord, I don't have the strength. I'm so tired. I said, refresh. I give you refreshing right now. Receive my spirit refreshing. Receive his lightness. Receive his strength. Receive his love. Receive his company. He says, you're not alone. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Whatever it is, he's your best friend from his perspective. From yours, it might be different. Lord, I pray that you release lightness over us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Release your lightness. Release your encouragement. Some of us have no clue how to step into the lightness of God. Because our heads are like lead balloons. They just weigh us down. We analyze everything. Why don't you give him your head? Give him your mind. Say, oh God, I give you my head. It gets me into trouble. It's depressing. And he'll say, I'll renew your mind if you like. So receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the, the love of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank him. Thank you, Lord, for giving us light. We can walk on water because you are in us. We can lay hands on people and they will be well because you are in us. We cannot be afraid in things that make us afraid because we are secure in you. We're going to understand things that we didn't understand because you are giving us your mind. We're going to desire things that we thought we would never desire because you are living in us. And the Spirit of God would say to you, there is a whole inheritance and a whole land ahead of you that is beautiful, is powerful. It doesn't mean there's no suffering. It just means there's a confidence in God's faithfulness and you're invited to step out of the boat and receive it in the company of others. So Lord, I pray that whatever you're saying to us as individuals, you would just release in power as we share together in the breaking of bread. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your lightness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.